Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 56 of College Football Throwdown. I am your host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hey there, Husker fans and big college football fans. All right. Yes, we are here in the officially in the postseason of college football. Uh, the bowl games have yes. started, so we're going to talk about yes. those that have occurred as well as the upcoming bowls um, and what's been going on for our favorite team, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, uh, both in football and in other sports, as it turns out. Uh, yes. But first, uh, I think we should start this off with our customary uh, popping of the beverage. I believe we both okay. have something yes, this time. Yes, we do. So, okay. You go first. Uh, All right. Okay. I don't know if that picked up, but I just did mine mm-hmm. too. Cheers. Cheers. Clink. Yep. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> the celebratory beer. Mm-hmm. Yes, well. All right. I got a, uh, you got on FaceTime with me yesterday with your celebratory cigar and beer in hand yes. as you yeah. celebrated the, uh, victory of our uh, Huskers volleyball team winning their fifth national championship. Yes, that's right. And uh, what an exciting uh, year it has been for them. And I'm a big uh, Nebraska volleyball fan uh, as well. In fact, we ought to talk more about that. I'm thinking that's something we'll do as a New Year's resolution in this podcast. Even though I'm talking about trying to make them shorter, (laughs) I would love to take a little time to talk about Nebraska volleyball because it is, in fact just like our new athletic director said, it is the flagship program. It is the example of what we would want all of our programs to be like uh, uh, in terms of how they go after every detail. And in fact, uh, 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 to talk just briefly uh, about uh, John Cook, you know, in the press conference after uh, the game, uh, the championship was done, he spoke um, uh, on a few things. And one of the things he mentioned uh, was about um, the commitment that the University of Nebraska has to uh, basically provide and enable their coaches to do whatever it takes, which includes, you know, being on the cutting edge on things like sports psychology and um, and things like that. And uh, these this team uh, made great use of that tool. For example, for the for really they, they've been trying it for a couple of years, but they really dove deeper and and they got more time with their with the sports psychologist this year than they've ever had. And just things like that, where there no stone is unturned, um, left unturned, you know, the, he, he analyzes and, and identifies everything. So, um, um, and if every coach worked that hard and, and did all those little details, you know, a uh, little Nick Saban ish, right? <laughs> right. Then, then by golly, we would see greater success on the, on the field. Yeah. Well, I saw this interesting, uh, it was like a Twitter post that was uh, on the Star Wars Reddit, or Star Wars. <laughs> I, you can tell my mind is in a certain place right now, um, with the release of The Last Jedi. The Huskers uh, Reddit page, and it said that um, since the year 2000, uh, Nebraska's uh, varsity sports has won 10 national titles, and all of them have been in women's sports. Um, so it just goes to show, and you know, there's the whole argument that they're, they're not uh, promoted enough, you know, 
not uh, I was going to say supported enough, but that's not true because you just talked about how Nebraska does give great support oh, no. and all that stuff. Absolutely. But, you know, financially, they aren't the money-making sports, thus they don't get the same amount of TV coverage and attention and all that sort of stuff that the other sports do. Right. So. Right, I would agree. Right, and that's true with, you know, across men's sports as well, with, like, men's volleyball or men's hockey or these other sports you know that don't get as much as like basketball and football and all that stuff um so that's just kind of how it is it is absolutely but yeah i I was not able to watch the game uh last night because i was busy with other things um but i think we decided that we're gonna uh, watch it uh when i'm with you guys in new orleans over this christmas break uh, so maybe we can do a little talk about a little more in-depth talk about the volleyball team after that yeah Yes, let's let's do that. We'll we'll be able to talk about um, um, the game itself. Uh, I'll just mention quickly, though. I mean, it was just an impressive Final Four in which we played Penn State. You know, uh, we had been the team that was the only team to beat them during the regular season, uh, and they were the number one ranked team uh, for a good portion of the season. And and certainly going into the tournament, they were seeded number one. Had a tremendous amount of talent on their team. And we didn't, uh, we, we beat them because we were the better team uh, and not because um, we had better talent, you know. And that was kind of a theme of the whole um, weekend and, and the whole uh, uh, Final Four was uh, team wins over talent. Um, and I, and I, I'd like to think that maybe we're going to see a little bit of that uh, with Scott Frost, uh, where uh, I think. Uh, Nebraska fans, particularly, this will maybe be my transition into a little uh, college football discussion or Nebraska football discussion, is, um, um, you know, there are an awful lot of teams. I, I would use uh, our our rival, um, Big Ten rival anyway, um, Wisconsin as an example. Um, they're, a, they're a team that plays at a very high level with inferior talent compared to those that they are mentioned with. You know what I mean? And, uh, and that's where Nebraska needs to start in the rebuilding process. They need to stop worrying about um, only go, you know, getting the top, top recruits and take it, making sure that they're getting the right kind of players, the right attitude, the right mentality, right, right work, work ethic, commitment to weight training, that sort of stuff. All those things have got to be in place, um, even if they're not the most talented. Uh, and they'll start winning games that they're supposed to win and then winning a few games that they're not supposed to win. And uh, the, uh, and then once you get there, then you can start building on, okay, now i got to upgrade my talent uh, even more, you know, another increment, and that's part of those details that right. we'll get into sometime in the future with, that John Cook spoke of. Right, although I'm sure that some of the coaches, uh, former coaches here in Nebraska, in like this period of, you know, mediocrity where we've been trying to kind of recapture our identity – uh, part of the problem has been is that we've changed our systems uh, between different right. coaches so many times that like just you know just as Mike Riley was getting into the offense that he wanted to run in this year you know after three years you know he's finally starting to get some of his guys in there um, then he get you know his bad season gets fired you know and now Scott Frost is coming with a whole new system so now we need to get recruits that fit Scott Frost's system you know and so yep. the, the cupboards so to speak have to be full with the type of talent for the type of system that you want. And whereas traditionally we had, you know, our option uh, power running 
offense that was the the cornerstone of what Nebraska was um, that we don't have that same identity anymore. We don't have something that, you know, is consistent across different coaches, you know, like Wisconsin under Barry Alvarez has had consistency in that regard. Yeah. And even when they switched coaches, they stayed with a coach that was uh, within their mental system or the coach didn't stick around. I mean, they had one experiment where they took a guy who was a little bit different, but basically he was told, this is how you're going to, this is the system you're going to run here. And he didn't love being dictated to. So he left at the first opportunity. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but yeah, it's been a little over a week since our last podcast. And so there's been a good bit that's kind of happened uh, in that time. Um, we, we weren't totally clear if Scott Frost was going to actually coach the Peach Bowl for UCF. Um, Cause we're just about logistics and, uh, UCF hiring the new coach, who turns out is uh, Josh Hupel. Hippel? Hypel. 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 There we go. Yeah. Um, and uh, But as it's turned out, yes, he is going to be coaching that game. So And the full staff from UCF that was under Scott Frost is returning with him to Nebraska. So now it sounds like that they are like coaching and recruiting for Nebraska and then flying back to Florida for to coach their team. And then they're, they're doing a lot of, a lot of traveling around. Well, sure. now, uh, but but I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to that very specifically, and then you can go ahead and go on with what you were gonna say, and and that is that every coaching staff that's in a bowl game is doing that. They're they're effectively living out of a suitcase, and they're they're flying in to to town to coach their team, and then whenever they get a window, and what typically happens is you won't have your whole staff at the at the practices until they get to the bowl site, right? So they'll um, um, wipe. Um, uh, what do I want to say? Um, they'll, um, go to the, uh, practices and then uh, the, the head coach might send half the coaches out recruiting and then the other half will, will run the practice. Right. Uh, and then, and then the next day they'll switch. Uh, and then the third day they'll all be together or something like that. You know what I mean? They, they come up with some structure in place to do that, but it is not, any different than in, than if they hadn't changed jobs. If we were playing in that bowl game, the, the University of Nebraska was playing that bowl game, and Scott Frost had been our coach for the last, you know, three years, he would be doing exactly the same thing. The only thing that's different is, is you're having to switch school representation. That's what's unique. But the actual travel and you know the the conflict of time is is the same as if it, it was any typical. True. bowl year true you know but this year now has a different dynamic because of the early signing period correct this, on december 20th so i feel like there's even more urgency in terms of trying to get recruits to correct. commit to you um or or if you're going after somebody who's committed to another school to get them to change their mind before yeah. they sign with the other school and and now historically uh there is a dead period that happens uh where uh, you know Players can't visit uh, campuses, and uh, or potential recruits can't visit campuses, and and uh, and the coaches cannot travel um, to visit. Uh, they can still make phone calls and have contact and all that sort of stuff, but they can't, uh, you know, do in-home visits or any of that sort of stuff. So as to not be a disadvantage for people in bowl games. If if they didn't have that rule, then some people wouldn't like being in a bowl game, frankly, because it would take you know, the, the teams that weren't in a bowl game could be out there recruiting unencumbered, so to speak, you know what I mean? And getting in people's ears. Um, so they don't do that. 
Now, with this new structure, I, I actually don't know the rules, so I'm going to have to bone up on that a little bit. But I have a feeling that this weekend was the last um, weekend that they're going to allow uh, visits. Well, the 20th actually is signing day, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this weekend was the last weekend you can have visits, and now there's going to be a dead period from now on until signing day, and then that that dead period carries on until January second, or you know the national championship, um, or the, not the national championship, but the uh, the New Year's bowl games. I think after that there is you know that one week between the semifinals and the finals. I think they do allow a visits to to occur. I don't know. I'll have to bone up on that. Right. And this brings up an interesting uh, discussion because of this unique situation between UCF and Nebraska with Scott Frost becoming our coach is that um, now we know all of the assistant coaches, essentially all the main assistants that were under Scott Frost at UCF are following him to Nebraska. Some c- players and commits who are committed to UCF or were at UCF have already, uh, or I don't know about current players, but I know at least recruits who are committed to UCF have decommitted from UCF and recommitted to Nebraska now to follow Scott Frost. And there's rumors about players from UCF, like following Scott Frost after the bowl game and things of that nature. Um, So what just in general, how do we view that kind of mentality of players? And then with coaches, I understand it more because it's a job and Scott Frost is their boss and he hired them. So I get them following him in that regard. Um, But there's that loyalty to the man versus the loyalty to the program aspect. And obviously in this case, it works out well for us as Nebraska fans. Um, but how do we just feel about that as a general concept? And you're, you're, you're speaking not about assistant coaches, but about recruits and players. Well, I'm speaking about all of it, but I'm just laying out right now that uh, I understand the assistant coaches more because for them, it's a job and Scott Frost is like their guy. Although I know that there was at least one coach assistant at UCF who's been there for quite some time um, who yeah. also left to follow Frost. Correct. And, 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 um, and, and typically that's not the case. I would say it's more common that when a head coach leaves one school and especially when they leave a lesser school and then go to a bigger school, so to speak, um, they, uh, they often take a few of their assistants with them. They're, they're, they're right-hand men, so to speak, but a lot of the other guys, they don't continue. So if, uh, and they go out and try to get upgrade, if you will, right. Get a better coach. And if they had a good uh, defensive back coach, well, they're going to try to go find somebody who is, uh, you know, a uh, even better coach and an even better recruiter than the one they had. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, but Scott chose a, a, a unique path, uh, within that, that description and that he, basically brought everyone uh, with him from his previous staff. He, he kept that group together, kept the band together. And part of that I think is because they, he, he'd only been a coach for two years. So those guys had all, you know, been together for the, the two years. Um, and, and I think, um, he, I think it's also just a, a little bit about his philosophy, right. That, that caused him to make that decision. Um, and we'll see if that bears fruit or whether that will come back to haunt him. You know, um, we have uh, even on this podcast, I think uh, in the past, I have criticized, you know, uh, the decision by Mike Riley, for example, to bring so many of his assistants from Oregon without at least considering the opportunity that he had to maybe entice better 
more prominent, um, you know, coaches because he was going to a blue bud program like Nebraska, who was going to fork out more money. And, uh, and because of the prestige of the program could have maybe enticed some better coaches, if you will, but he didn't do that. Uh, uh, Scott Frost, I mean, he, he just stayed with his guys. Um, and so that's kind of unique. I, I, I uh, and it'll be interesting to see how it works out. I, I like the stability aspect of it. I think it, it is in keeping with Tom Osborne's philosophy, and he is very much a, a Tom Osborne disciple. Uh, Scott is. It's clear that uh, there's, there's going to be a lot of uh, Tom Osborne influence on Scott, which excites me to a great degree. Yeah. But then, so, and I guess you're right in that, in terms of, you know, assistants following the head coach um, when they right. move up, you know, the, the pay grade, as it were, the, the scale of college football. Um, mm-hmm. But then also with the recruits and the players and stuff, um, like yeah. I saw lots of people speculating about the the quarterback at UCF who's been such a stud for them. Like, is he uh-huh. going to follow Scott Frost, you know, because he's, you know, Scott Frost's system. Well, now is an existing... An existing player, it's a little that. tougher deal because if you do that uh, as a player, um, you um, right. you have to sit out right, right a year, and um, uh, so you're given up eligibility. And uh, the, the the concern would be, um, uh, did you was there an um, unwritten promise there that you come with me and and I'll make you the starter? You know what I mean? And that is dangerous water. Uh, that you don't want to tread in, right? So I would say or suggest that um, that doesn't happen very often. Uh, existing players, it's far uh, the, the more significant thing that you just discussed was was recruits doing it because they aren't yet, you know, they haven't signed on the dotted line, so they have the flexibility and freedom to do that. And 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 I understand, I really do. I, I get it. I understand why a player is compelled to reconsider his commitment to a school when the head coach and all the assistants who have built a relationship with him over the course of, you know, oftentimes more than a year, um, all of a sudden are gone, uh, that they wouldn't want to go to that school anymore. Um, except that you, you, uh, you would hope that they're also going to that school because of the school, because of the academics, because of the environment, because of the fans, because of all the other things, right? Uh, and it used to be more true that that was uh, those were major factors in the decision, but these days the kids are, are much more focused on the relationship with the coach, and uh, and uh, the school is is very much the secondary aspect of it. And uh, so uh, you, you ask how how do I feel about it? I would advise you as my son, for example, if you were in that situation, I would have advised you to think very strongly before you made a commitment. And if you made a commitment to make sure you're making the commitment to the school, I think that's the kind of adult decision that should be going on there. And the, the adults in the room, so to speak. So the moms and dads or high school coaches or whoever the mentor is for that young man um, should, uh, in my opinion, be advising those kids to be very sure about the school first and don't assume the coach is going to be there for the whole time you're there or any of that stuff. You're going there for, to get a degree and, is, is are all did all those things line up the way you want them to and um, and then the coach is, has got to be good obviously that you like but if you're a big big time school like like anybody that was committed to Nebraska you know what you had to know going in that there was a chance that 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 Mike Riley wouldn't be there your whole career so 
you would you, you would have thought that they would have already made a decision with that in mind, knowing that, okay, uh, but but also being confident that that Nebraska was going to pick a really good um, alternative, right? Uh, uh, once they uh, made a decision to go in a different direction, so so you have to have that confidence that hey, even if you even if this guy isn't here because he gets a better job and he leaves, or um, you know, or he gets fired, whoever they replace him with is also going to be good. Uh, right. But but you get caught like like uh, Patrick O'Brien is now, where he I'm sure is before second semester begins is going to have to have some serious discussions with mom and dad over over Christmas about what he's going to do. I mean, he's now been at school for two years. He's probably got a really nice set of friends and, you know, all that, right? Uh, and, and loves Lincoln, maybe. Um, but this offense that Scott Frost runs is not compatible with his skill set at all. So Patrick needs to leave if football is important to him. And, and you know what I mean? Right. And, and start over at another school. But Or maybe make the decision that, you know what, I'm just going to finish my career here as a student and um, maybe get into coaching or something and, 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 and stay on the team for that reason. I mean, there's a bunch of choices that he could make, obviously, but he's not going to be a quarterback on Scott Frost's offense. Right. Yeah, and so talking about um, what's kind of gone down in this time in terms of our, our recruiting uh, schedule and uh, commitments and decommitments and all that, because we knew that we are going to get some decommitments uh, because of Mike Riley being fired you know you've already talked about how this recruiting class we kind of got to see it as a little bit of a wash you know uh because of that and that you know it's going to be not not be a great class but we're going to build from there hopefully um there have been some um headline getting recruits that scott frost has uh, gotten commitments from uh in this time um there's a safety cj smith uh what do we else we have here uh uh, the the big QB Adrian Martinez, uh, tight yep. end Justin McGriff, and then yep. just just today I saw JUCO safety three star uh, Deontay Williams, yep. also committing. Um, are there any other big recruits I'm missing there? Uh, no, I think you mentioned them, um, and uh, um, you know they had quite a number of recruits visiting this weekend, uh, so we'll see how many or if any of those guys sign up. Um, you know, uh, or make a commitment here in the next day or two. Uh, but because uh, some of them are going to be making a decision before, before signing day, which, again, um, today's date is the 17th. Yes. So in three days, I believe the signing day happens. So so these kids are going to have a couple of days to think about it, and then they're going to have to make their decisions. Or they're going to say, well, I'm going to continue the recruiting process until February, you know. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how many make that decision and, and just uh, go for it, you know. Uh, but then we'll know how many how many scholarships we still are after, uh, you know, uh, at that point. So right. Um, so w- what I guess what what would you rank our current situation as in terms of the talent we've gained uh, versus what we've lost from Mike oh, Riley being fired? We we we've lost a lot of talent. Uh, when Mike Riley, and, 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 well, just because of the way the season played out, you you can call it Mike Riley's firing, but some of those kids were going to change their minds anyway, uh, because they were seeing the wheels come off of Mike Riley's system right in front of their eyes. And 
they're like, well, maybe I don't want to go there, you know? Uh, so even if we had retained Mike Riley, I think a number of those players probably would not have signed with Nebraska. Some of them would have, but um, so it's hard to, to say definitively, but uh, you know, who, who would have done what, but, but bottom line is we lost a lot of, of very highly regarded uh, players. I'm going to say uh, about seven, six or seven guys left uh, in the weeks prior to Riley's firing or in the aftermath of his firing. Um, they, they left. Um, I think there might be one of those guys that we're still recruiting uh, because the, he has left the door open that, that he would recommit to Nebraska because he has enough of a relationship with uh, the, the school that he wants to con- continue to consider us. But most of them who left were off the list, right? Right. Um, so um, right now we're not – and again, when you make a decision, in my opinion, when you make a decision like we made to uh, after the kind of year that we had, I think you have to accept the fact that I, I, I don't assign a great deal of uh, responsibility to, to Scott Frost on this first recruiting class. I think he has to do everything he can to salvage it as best he can, but I would protect those scholarships and I would not waste a one of them on a guy because we need a body because we need that third um, you know, cornerback or whatever. If you can't get a guy that you believe is um, capable of being you know, a starter – for you, um, then don't give them the scholarship. Keep it for next year. You know, go into next season. We've we've historically done that uh, and punished ourselves anyway because of the way we recruit um, and had less than 85 scholarship players to begin the season anyway. So this won't be a lot different than what we've been doing to ourselves. But then next year, with a full year to recruit as Nebraska's coaches, now then uh, they've got to go nuts on the program. You know what I mean? So... So next year's recruiting class is going to be much more important. This one's important in that we, we need to fill needs. So I, I'm hopeful that they're doing a lot of film study of junior college players. And um, um, they're looking at, um, um, you know, some, some high school players, uh, but, but certainly a lot of sophomores uh, and, uh, and, you know, and juniors that are, that are coming up uh, because that's where they need to devote their time. Yep. I agree with that. And you and I were talking last night about the definitely the of the recruits that he did get. The one that's the most interesting and exciting is this Adrian Martinez, um, yeah. who's a who was a previously committed to Tennessee, but uh, Scott Frost was pursuing him even at UCF. He was like his top quarterback choice um, because he just seems to fit Scott's system so well. Um, so right. it is exciting that he is coming here for sure. Right. And, and he does seem to be, um, and he was a little bit of a, you know, he was a, a, a top 10 quarterback of the, of that dual threat uh, variety, according to a number of the services that are out there. But, uh, and I think even that ranking is, a, is, is a little diminished from where it might have been because he did not play his senior year because of an injury. So, so you have that which is a bit of a question mark, but I, assuming Scott has done his due diligence on the, 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 the young man's uh, injury situation and that he is going to be good to go by next year and, and, and not diminished as a result of that injury, then, uh, then I think we might have gotten a steal, you know, a guy who's actually better than his perceived um, position. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So, 
No, that, that so. that's definitely exciting. Um, it and, is. and we're you know we're hopeful that you know if uh, if UCF puts up a you know it's that let's not say that they beat Auburn in the bowl game, but they put up a good fight. You know, only lose by seven points or something like that. Um, and then uh, you know we have a, a a decent you know like seven and five, eight and four type season at Nebraska. Um, that shows off, you know, with some explosive offense, you know, that shows off what Scott's offense is capable of, um, that then, right. then we'll be getting, getting the recruits we really want next year. Right. Well, and, and that's the thing is that I, I, I think, I think we have to kind of accept that this is a process and, uh, and what we're looking for is improvement right. and, and moving in the right direction. So now one thing we said we were going to talk about was, um, uh, the coaches, and I don't know if you wanted to cover something else first, or you wanted to talk about the assistants. Um, let's talk about the assistants, but we won't spend too much time on it. Um, okay. You know, I think we we have already discussed that. Uh, probably the area of our biggest concern is the defensive coordinator, uh, just because at UCF there were some big, big high scoring, crazy games, um, which is yes. also a complement of that offense. That hurry up offense, your defense is out on the field more. Um, so it becomes more difficult for them to like have like shutout games and things of that nature. Um, but that is definitely an area I'm a little concerned about. Right. I, I, I understand. And I am too, but you know, uh, if you, if you read, uh, the bio of Eric Chenander, who is the defensive coordinator, um, Eric is, he's a young, young guy. He, he just graduated from college in 2003. So, so, I mean, he's, um, uh, you know, he's, he's, He's a young uh, coach, and that's exciting. Um, and number two, uh, he seems to have some loyalty to to um, um, Scott because he followed Scott from Oregon. So when he got the head coaching job, um, Scott uh, brought him from Oregon. So to leave Oregon to go to uh, you know Owen twelve UCF team uh, was a gutsy move on Chenander's part, I think. Um, he, uh, if, if you look at his bio, uh, was uh, a, a nominee for the Broyles Award back in 2016. Uh, um, so, you know, uh, he's a guy that is obviously got made some noise nationally, um, both because uh, typically that award is given to people who've, you know, done some good things, right? Um, and so, not every every assistant gets nominated for that award. So that that's an indication that, that he's doing some good things and people need to understand where the uh, UCF defense was before Chenander came. Um, and the fact is, is that, um, you know, um, he has made improvements in that defensive um, structure at UCF, even though it still looks awful. Uh, but, and the, one of the things that I like about his defenses is that uh, they were high in the turnover department. They, forced a lot of turnovers. And, you know, it has been years since Nebraska was good at that. You'd have to go back to, uh, you know, the early Bo Pelini years when we had uh, some great turnover, you know, uh, season. But generally speaking, we were horrible about turnovers. We were almost always the, uh, you know, negative in that, in that category because our offenses were so prolifically turnover prone, um, um, right. you know, with some of the quarterbacks we recently right. had. So. And you mentioned, I believe, in a previous week that uh, UCF uh, was did seem to be good at tackling. You know, they had proper mechanics. Yeah, um, yeah. that sort of stuff. Um, exactly. Although, although it'll be interesting to see. Uh, and you know, you mentioned earlier about the them 
winning their bowl game uh, as kind of a, you know, projecting in a positive direction for, I, I think we need to prepare ourselves for a reality. Uh, number one, the goofiness of that whole situation with Scott coaching the game, uh, even though he's now at Nebraska and everything like that, um, you know, some of the players are going to embrace that. Some of them aren't. Some of them are going to be pissed, are going to feel a little uh, slighted by by Scott and the coaches leaving them. Um, uh, I think you're not going to see their best performance in the bowl game. Combine that with the fact that I think the draw they got by playing Auburn was probably, I mean, I would have much rather seen them play USC um, or, um, you know, even Ohio State than Auburn. Right. Um, I, I think UCF would have made it interesting with Ohio State, frankly. I think that would have been a game that, that Scott Frost might have had a chance to make interesting. Um, so, um, but, but against Auburn, I think Auburn might eat his lunch. Right. Uh, uh, and that's, so, so I'm prepared for the reality that Scott's team won't look very good against Auburn. Um, for a number of reasons uh, that have to do with their inability to play at their best because of all the circumstances off the field, combined with the the fact that Auburn was probably the worst matchup they could have gotten out of the New Year's Day six bowl game selections that they might have you know been aligned with. Um, um, right. They got they got the best team that's not playing in the playoff. <laughs> right. You know what I mean. Right. Well, yeah, although, you know, obviously it was Ohio State who everyone was debating about between them and Alabama, who's going to get in because of their record right. and the fact they were a champion and all that. But here right. you are saying that in terms of who's the better team, you think it's Auburn by a decent margin. Oh, uh, between uh, between Ohio State and Auburn? Oh, yeah. Well, again, Auburn beat Georgia, who's ranked number one now, and and beat Alabama, right? right. And lost to um, Clemson. And lost to Clemson. I mean, they have proven it on the field, and they have some incredible talent. Yep. Uh, frankly, I'm not a Braxton. Uh, I'm not Braxton. What's the quarterback's name? Uh, is it Keyshawn? No, no. Uh, Ohio State. I'm sorry. Um, oh, oh. Uh, uh, is it Braxton Miller? No. What the heck is it? Uh, shoot. <laughs> anyway, uh, Ohio State's quarterback isn't that good, in my opinion, right. and can be can be neutralized to some extent. If you, if you make him a passer, he can, uh, he can make some bad decisions and he can look pretty, you know, normal. Uh, J- JT Barrett. That's it. Yes. Thank you. JT Barrett. Right. Uh, and so that's why I think, um, um, Ohio state is, is more vulnerable, right? Because their quarterback really isn't that great. Right. He's not. Well, phenomenal. he's, he's inconsistent. He's had games yeah. where he's looked incredible. Um, right, that's but, true. But uh, other games, not so much. Um, right. I did want to bring up, uh, just because you mentioned that the defensive coordinator followed him from Oregon, I remember some people speculating because Chip Kelly has now been hired at UCLA, some people wondering right. if some of those former Oregon people who followed Frost were going to jump over to Chip Kelly since he was the guy there at Oregon. Um, but they right. all chose to stay with Scott Frost. I don't know if that's because... Uh, Chip Kelly just didn't offer it to them if he's looking for bigger and better yeah. things. Yeah, um, or... I, I think that's that's more likely the truth. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I would be I would be shocked if Chip Kelly really came after anybody from his previous Oregon staff that is now at Nebraska. I think he would um, say, "Good for you guys," and you know, I hope you're successful and good luck. 
I don't think he cared about those guys at all. So there you go. All right. Yeah. Cool. Well, is there anything else you want to say about the coaching staff, or should well, we move on? Well, the... I'm just going to say since since we talked about that defensive coordinator, I guess I I, I would say a couple of things. I'm not. I know I'm not going to love the defensive coordinator's defense uh, because his performance suggests he's not the greatest defensive coordinator in, in, in history. Right. Uh, and so that's disappointing. You know, I would have loved it to have somebody coming in here with a resume that, that showed that they were great, you know, uh, and that this guy doesn't have that, but I'm willing to give him a chance. And I'm willing to say that, um, you know, because he's Scott's guy uh, and they and Scott believes in that chemistry of the, of their staff, uh, I think we need to be patient as Nebraska fans, embrace both the good and the bad. I love the fact that he's he's been a turnover machine uh, maker, and uh, and uh, hopefully um, uh, he'll be more aggressive than like Diaco was or um, um, you know some of these other, yeah, uh, banker uh, rather. Right. Uh, so let's see if we can get uh, somebody who's going to use what athletic talent we have and actually get after somebody. And are they going to do the fundamentals proper? You know, are they going to be coached in the fundamentals? Because uh, I feel like our guys are horrible. Uh, <laughs> they're not disciplined. They're not. They're not disciplined in their tackling techniques and, and right. how they take angles and all that stuff. That's right. All well, the details. And I'm remembering as well in our conversation last night, you mentioned that uh, the strength and conditioning guy who's there now yes. is a former Nebraska guy. And so he's uh, following up on that traditional Nebraska strength and conditioning philosophy um and so, right. and so hopefully that will carry over and have good dividends um for our players Absolutely. on both sides I'm, of the ball and 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 he's been successful with the philosophies uh uh that have, that made Oregon successful you know and understanding the importance of being in shape and all that sort of stuff right well and i guess that is an interesting thing to discuss uh in terms of the recruits and you know what they're going to be conditioning for and all that um it just feels like speed is going to become more important because in, uh, you know, the traditional Nebraska style was not the hurry up offense. You know, it was very much, you're going to go into the huddle, you're going to get on the ground, you're going to smash them and smash them and keep doing that, you know, until you, until you win. And that could lead to long drives, you know, where you're just getting four yards of carry, but you're just slowly dinking and dunking down the field. Whereas this is much more about like, you're not huddling, you're getting up to the line, you're throwing the ball and you're getting up, 20 seconds later and throwing it again, you know? Uh, and so that, that uh, just requires a different personnel set uh, on offense than what we previously have gotten. Right. Absolutely. It, it changes everything. And even, yeah, uh, particularly for our offensive linemen and, uh, and uh, you know, the wide receivers, they're going to still be running routes. They're going to be different routes and, and, you know, they're going to have to, be in far better shape because they're going to be in constant motion. There's no longer a, a chance to get back to the huddle and have that, you know, 10 or 15 second respite uh, where you're just standing in the huddle and huffing and puffing and catching your breath. Now you're going to be going and, and um, you know, go, go, go. You know what I mean? Right. So. Yep. So it's good. It's going to be interesting for sure. You know, I think it's, you've said before, be fun. Yeah, yeah, that the, the, this offense isn't an offense you love as somebody who loves the, the traditional Nebraska offense. Um, but it is an exciting new thing that all the high schools are doing and that has clearly found yep. success at many other programs across the country. 
Um, right. So maybe it's time to try something a little different. It, it, well, and and uh, back to the fundamentals on the ground level, if Scott Frost does the things and builds the kind of love culture, and that's what I'll call it, is the love culture, uh, rather than the um, intimidation culture or a, uh, you know, um, um, social club culture like we had with Mike Riley, where everybody liked each other. But there, you know, love also comes in the form of tough love, right? So a, a love culture is going to be tough, fair, uh, but but always in the best interest of the student athlete. And, uh, you know what I mean? Or even over team, uh, the, you're gonna you're gonna be uh, worried and care about the kids. And and if you do that over time, and you have enough success to keep your job, then eventually that builds on itself, and people grow to understand that and appreciate that. And and that's what Tom Osborne did. And I think that's the part of Tom Osborne's philosophy that isn't going to change. And I think you're going to find that Scott Frost in his offense is going to bring elements of the old Nebraska offense. I think he's going to he's going to bring the option, even though he's not going to have a traditional fullback. He's going to do it in in the new age way with that spread offensive system, uh, where he's pounding at you. Uh, uh, but but uh, uh, but I just think he's going to find ways to understand you know, our climate and, and the, the conference we now play in and stuff, he's going to have to make some concessions to the system that he was using down at UCF. Yep. And I think he will. Yep. Yep. I think he gets it. Uh, you know, he, he certainly gets yeah. the, the mentality of the fan base um, yeah. and what, what the, they dream of, you know, at least. Right. Um, whether or not right. that's, you know, the, the reality of college football anymore. Um, that's that's what they dream of, right? <laughs> right, absolutely, absolutely. Certainly. Okay, so. so moving on to the national conversation. Um, yes, the last time that. we talked, uh, Tennessee was still in uh, crisis mode trying to find a head coach. Um, and so in the time since then, they have. Um, they got the defensive coordinator at Alabama, Jeremy Pruitt, uh, to be their head coach. So getting a premier um, assistant coach seems like a, 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 a solid choice on their part um, and good to finally get it over with. And so he can start putting together his staff and his recruits and all that. Right. Right. Well, and, and particularly I would say that's good because the assistant coach is coming from Alabama. Um, um, now the thing is, is that this isn't the guy that's been with Nick Saban as the defensive coordinator forever because um, um, he, uh, he hasn't been there, uh, you know what I mean, in that role. He's, I think he might have been with Nick for some time. Any, any coach that's spent an extended amount of time with Nick Saban is going to have some great understanding of what it takes to be successful uh, because he will have observed it, you know what I mean? But um, uh, on the downside, you're getting a guy who's never been a head coach, mm-hmm. and, 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 and that can be dangerous, as we've learned. You can be a great coordinator, but being a head coach is a very different circumstance. So um, we'll see. Yep, we will see. You know, it'll be interesting to see how that goes now, for them. Now, I, I would mention one thing. It's amazing the number of players that we're both after. So all of a sudden, um, Tennessee and us are not only we won the, the recruiting battle for the quarterback, but they took some players that we wanted as well. And, um, uh, and so um, it looks like, at least initially here, 
that we and Tennessee are going to run in the same circles in terms of the kinds of uh, athletes that we're going after. Right. Well, we talked about the the Calabrasca thing with Mike Riley, given that he was yeah. coming from uh, Oregon State, um, and Scott Frost, you know, coming from Oregon, certainly has some connections out here on the Pacific Coast as well. Uh, but now, more importantly, he's got all these connections in Florida and those surrounding areas from UCF, um, which we're now able to draw upon. Um, but yes. that's a very hotly contested area, certainly. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether Scott will be able to get the speed he needs to run his system to come to Nebraska, because it, it, it definitely needs he needs to have speed for it to work. And we have not, we don't have that kind of speed around the states that we call home, right? Uh, Nebraska, Kansas. The Dakotas, we don't have a lot of, of that kind of speed laying around. Right. Uh, whereas the Floridas and the Texases and the Tennessees and the Alabamas have a ton of that kind of speed. And so uh, we're gonna, it's going to be a challenge for Scott to figure out a way to successfully recruit to his system. Um, but that's particularly important uh, you know, for the running backs and the wide receivers only, I mean, uh, and the quarterback. Um, I mean, it doesn't necessarily uh, affect his offensive line choices and, uh, uh, and then defensive players are defensive players and speed is valuable no matter what. But, but his offensive system definitely requires speed at those wide receiver positions because you're going to be catching a lot of balls short and expected to you know, break a tackle and, and make some yardage. But I, I kind of like big myself <laughs> big and strong and able to able to break tackles that's what i want i want to move the chains right. with my wide receivers so i don't i don't i don't again philosophically one of the things i don't like about this offense is it generally uh, appeals to the small receiver right the scat back type of guy who's going to make people miss like um man if uh, personnel had another year mm-hmm. uh, i think he would be phenomenal in this offense phenomenal yeah for sure and, um, and i hope that morgan speaking of that morgan's stanley god if he if he's smart he's probably going pro but that's probably the right choice for him personally but but if he if if he values you know um, his degree and things like that and wants to stay so he can accomplish some of those goals for his family which i'd love to see happen uh i think he could be the kind of uh, receiver that I would like Scott to to build around guy that's not got blazing speed, but that maybe with sure hands and, and um, a uh, strong, you know, ability to break a tackle here and there uh, would make him a stud in that offense. Right. Well, and I just thought of this um, because I hadn't really considered before, but since you brought up, you know, in this kind of area that we're in, you know, we don't have a lot of like, talent of that specific type that scat back type in our area um but also the big 10 in general you know it's more of a big big strong guy you know kind of conference um it's yeah. not the pac-12 which is full, right it's not yep. the pac-12 which is full of all the those big spread offenses so if we can get very good at that offense uh the other teams won't necessarily be used to playing against it uh so Correct. we could have an advantage there for sure absolutely true and that's the thing. Now, most teams that have tried to implement the spread offense at, at the big in the, within the Big Ten have not done it very effectively, not done it very well. Um, 
you know, there was a period of time when Northwestern dabbled in it um, and had some success. Um, Purdue has dabbled in it and had some success. But generally speaking, others who've tried, uh, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't been the kind of offense that was going to lead you to championships, Big Ten championships. You know, you were going to always run into somebody who would just crush you. Uh, because if that system, if, if you're not able to get, uh, you know, a couple of first downs and kind of build that that uh, momentum and wear people out, then you see a lot of three and outs and it's ugly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no, it, but I, I'm just looking forward to, to us being good enough that when we play lesser teams, we look like a well-coached team and we, we, we dominate some lesser teams. You know what I mean? And then over time, we get closer and closer uh, to the the big game yeah. teams. That was something that was fun about the uh, Taylor Martinez era is that, you know, against those lesser teams, uh, he'd just break a tackle and go for, you know, 70 yards on a run or whatever, and we'd have these big right. scoring games. Um, right. And that was fun, but ultimately that's not that important to me because you put up on 70 points on the Little Sisters of the Poor, okay, great, but if you can't beat, you know, Wisconsin when the time comes, then it doesn't matter. Right. But you got to start somewhere, right? And and the, and the point is, is that you know we made games where we were superior in talent by a fairly significant margin. We made them interesting and tight because we made so many self-inflicted mistakes. Yeah. Um, uh, in recent years, and that's the part that drove Nebraska fans nuts. Yes. Uh, uh, so we'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll see how see. that plays out. All right. And then. Um, there were some bowls this past uh, weekend, this past Saturday, yeah. um, most of which are, you know, some of these lesser bowls, you know, not as uh, uh, big. Um, but w- the one that uh, is getting talked about right now is that uh, Boise State beat Oregon 38-28. Um, Boise State has kind of been a, a, a thorn in Oregon's side in, in, the, in the past as well. Uh, so this is yeah. kind of a, a theme almost. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So... That's an interesting one. Um, and now we're going to move on to uh, the uh, bowl predictions segment. Um, I've okay. written down a list here of some of the big bowls. Um, and we're going to kind of do like what we did uh, for the championship games. We're going to predict um, who we think is going to win and whether it's going to be close or blowout. Uh, uh, blowout meaning 14 points or more. Um, okay. Or let's say more than 14 points. So if you know, 14 points would still be close, but if it's 15 points, it's a blowout, something like that. Um, so uh, the first one I have on the list is not uh, a big game, but it's a game of interest to us. The Bahamas Bowl with Ohio University versus UAB. Um, <laughs> that's, wow. uh, you know, uh, they're not in the uh, Idaho Potato Bowl this potato year. Potato Bowl, right, uh, yeah. But they. When is that? Uh, I just looked it up. I think it's the 22nd. Yes, the 22nd. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, so is that the day that we arrive in New Orleans? No, that's the 23rd. That's, that's this is 23rd. a Friday. Oh, so it's on Friday. Is it during the day or is it in the evening? Looks like it, it's it's 9.30 my time, which means 12.30 yours. Uh, 12.30 in the, in the afternoon. Right. So it's in the And that's on, that's on a Friday, huh? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Well, bummer. I will uh, probably uh, be driving. Um, there you go. We have that to listen day. then. 
So um, I won't. Yeah, I'll be able to listen to it on the radio. That's true. Uh, yeah. Now I have not been following the Ohio Bobcats in terms of football this year. Oh, um, I have. <laughs> I know you have, <laughs> but because I know they did well in the MAC. Um, they did. But I'm, I'm going to. So, I'm, but I'm going to. I'm going to cheer for my alma mater. I'm going to say Ohio wins it close. There you go. I, I'm going to. Uh, you know, I, I I'm going to say the same. Okay. Very good. All right. So we got that. Now, um, this is an interesting name. It's the Camping World uh, Bowl, uh, Virginia Tech versus Oklahoma State. Um, mm. I, personally, uh, I think I'm going to go with uh, Oklahoma State with that one, uh, mm. and I'm going to say, I'm going to say blow up. I'm going to say that Oklahoma State scores a lot of points. And where is that one uh, played at? Uh, is that out in California or is that Florida? I'm not sure. Let me Google it real quick. What's the name of the bowl game? The Camping World Bowl. Oh, well, it doesn't have any old old moniker. Okay, I don't know what these new bowl names. <laughs> right. Uh, well, it's probably Florida, though, because I think Camping World is from Florida. Uh, but, okay, well, then I'm going to say, if it's in Florida, I'm going to say Virginia Tech wins. But it'll be a close game. It'll be high high scoring, but a close final score. Okay. Uh where is this? It says Lane Stadium. That's not helping me, though. Oh, okay. Um, Lane Stadium is in, I'm pretty sure, is in Florida. Okay. I think. Yeah. Okay, so you're saying Virginia Tech close. Good to know. Yep, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll go Virginia Tech. Close. Good to know. Um, I, guess, I don't know. That, that gets into the whole, like, there are too many bowls nowadays because there's, like, all these ones with, like, super obscure names. And now oh, like, I know. teams that are six and six are able to make it into bowl games, whereas in the olden days it used to be a more exclusive kind of thing. It's not like yes. that anymore. No. No. Um, then we've got, this is an interesting one, Stanford versus TCU in the Alamo Bowl, um, which is bowl we've, Nebraska T- has been to. TCU and who? Stanford. Stanford. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I. Wow, I, that's going to be a great matchup. Yeah, I think it's a good matchup. I'm person. I'm going to go Stanford close. I will too. All right. I'm going to assume that Love is going to be healthy for that game, um, and he is a stud. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they they played uh, USC close, um, whereas yep. TCU kind of got uh, controlled by uh, Oklahoma. I agree. So I'm going to go with that. Uh, based off recent performance, but sometimes in bowl games, you know, because there's this separation between like right. the last game and the bowl game, things can be very different. Yeah, so. but I, I'm going to go with Stanford. Okay, and then uh, the Holiday Bowl, Washington State versus Michigan State. Uh, what are you thinking for that one? Wow. Wow. And, and 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 what's the bowl game again? The Holiday Bowl. Holiday Bowl. So that's in San Diego. Okay, um, I do not know. Um, hmm, that one's a tough one. That one's a tough one. I'm gonna go with Sparty. I'm gonna go with Sparty, but close. See you close. Okay, I'm gonna go uh, with uh, Washington State close. Um, partly because you just said that it's in San Diego, so it's on the West Coast. So right, right. Washington State might have a little bit of an advantage with. Uh, travel and all that Uh, Uh, i would agree right and okay and so now we're getting to some of the bigger bowls here um 
USC versus Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl. Um, this, oh, wow. this, yeah, this is another good matchup. Yeah, this is a great matchup. Um, I'm going to pick USC, and uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm going to pick USC. USC, I just, close. I just, I just um, uh, closer, big. Um, I keep saying close. Yes, it'll end up being close. I just, I'm not sure JT Barrett is going to have a great game. Okay, we'll see. I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to say Ohio State close. No, I hope you're right. I mean, I, I want Ohio State to win that game, obviously for Big Ten reasons. But, but uh, and USC is, is is certainly an imperfect team. Right. <laughs> They're not. Yeah, they've had a mixed schedule this yet. year. Um, yeah. Then uh, Fiesta Bowl, Washington versus Penn State, another Big Ten Pac-12 matchup. Washington versus Penn State. Huh. Um, boy, now Chris Peterson is is one of the best coaches. Uh, again, we've talked about how I wouldn't have minded him being our head coach at all. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with Chris Peterson and Washington for that reason. I just I kind of feel like a, uh, to a little bit of a degree, Penn State, the wheels came off a little bit uh, of that program. Once people figured out that if they could uh, focus in on um, – on uh, on the the running back there at Penn State and and shut him down or at least diminish his impact on the game that all the other players around him weren't good enough to beat you, you know that's how teams beat Penn State late in the year once that that kind of formula was presented and so so I uh, I think that will still be true and uh, Washington will uh, and their uh, coaches are smart enough and good enough they'll figure that out and they'll do it too there we go. All right, and then the Orange Bowl, uh, Wisconsin and Miami playing each other. Oh, God. In the Orange Bowl. In the Orange God, Bowl. God, that's disgusting. Okay. <laughs> uh, seriously, I want Wisconsin to win that game, but it's going to be Miami. Um, in fact, I think it might be a blowout. Yeah. Because it's in Miami. Right. Uh, Jesus, at least make them go somewhere else. Miami ha- has sucked outside of Miami. Seriously, when they played in bowl games, like when they've been in big bowl games in past years, you know, and they have to fly across the country and stuff, except when they were, you know, spectacular, like national champion type teams, they, well, even in the national championship game, uh, when they flew out the desert to, to the Fiesta Bowl, they, and Penn State handed it to them uh, in a game when they um, were the huge favorite, you know. Um, but when they play in their backyard, it's tough. Yeah. Nebraska knows this better than most. <laughs> so so I'm afraid uh, for Wisconsin, they're, uh, they're going to face that as well. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with the same, uh, go with a Miami blowout, um, both because I, I think Miami is a great team, but as well as the location, uh, giving them an advantage. Um, and now this isn't one of the, the bigger bowls in terms of prominence of the teams, but it is one that we're going to be interested in for sure. Uh, Michigan versus South Carolina in the Outback Bowl. Wow. Say that one again now. Michigan versus South Carolina. South Carolina. In the Outback Bowl. You know, um, I think uh, I think Michigan's going to win that game. Okay. That's what I think. Yep. And um, is it going to be a blowout? Um, you know, I think they're going to win comfortably. Fourteen points. Yes, they're going to they're going to win by 
more than 14 points. So we'll call it, and we'll put it in the, in the blowout category. Okay. I'm going to predict Michigan win, but I'm going to say it's going to be close. Uh, okay. I think South Carolina can hang in there with them. And then we've got uh, the game we've already discussed, the Peach Bowl, UCF versus Auburn. Yes. And I'm going to, uh, regretfully, I'm taking Auburn, and it's going to be a blowout. Auburn blowout. All right. And I'm I'm going to go with my heart here, maybe more than my mind. I'm going to say Auburn wins, but it's going to be close. I'm going to say UCF scores enough to keep with them throughout the game, even though they eventually lose. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then the Citrus Bowl, Notre Dame versus LSU. Notre Dame versus LSU. Wow. Um, I'm going to go with Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. I'm going to agree. I'm going to say Notre Dame close. Yeah, close. Yep. Yep. Okay. We agree there. And now we're on to the big ones, the the playoff games, Georgia I, versus Oklahoma. Boy, um, I don't know if I talked about this in the last podcast, but I'm really pissed at the that the, the way they set these up. Um, I mean, I understand it's one through four, but they they needed to look at it and I don't know. I just, I would have much rather had, you know, um, somebody other than Alabama playing Clemson. I think they screwed Clemson in this deal. Um, um, I mean, I I don't, I disagree. That's just how the seating fell. I I, I know it is. It is is exactly how the seating fell. And, 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 and and once you open that Pandora's box about rearranging things, it, it, uh, it, it, it just, it creates a lot of, uh, manipulation and bad juju. So that's why I understand you just go with the way it lays out and that's that. But having them play in the Sugar Bowl ugh, just pisses me off. So uh, so for it's Clemson versus Alabama, right? Right. Yep. Yep. Uh, 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 you know, I'm going to go with my heart and say Clemson, uh, but close. Okay. I, I think I'm going to I'm going to say the same because that's also what I want. Uh, so I'm going to go with that. And I, I I mentioned this on the last podcast, but I'm personally I'm glad that they did it this way rather than doing something where they rearrange it so Alabama and Georgia had to play each other so we were guaranteed a non-SEC you know SEC duo championship. Um, but then you're guaranteeing that there's one SEC team in for sure. Whereas right. if, if you have faith that the other teams are, gonna, are good enough to compete – then we could get a Clemson-Oklahoma uh, championship game and the SEC is out entirely. So right, it can go both right. ways. I agree. I agree. You, you know, you're right. I mean, I understand your point, I guess. I don't agree with you, but <laughs> I, I, I understand your point. Okay. Then what do you think about Georgia and Oklahoma with uh, Heisman Trophy winner Baker Mayfield? That also happened. Yeah. Well, there's a Heisman, yeah, there's a Heisman jinx that, that obviously <laughs> does not bode well for Oklahoma, but even without that, uh, I'm inclined to believe that it's Georgia and it's not close. I'm going to predict a blowout. Interesting. Georgia kicks kicks Oklahoma's butt. Okay, I'm going to say uh, Georgia, but it's close. I think uh, okay. uh, they're going to play. Oklahoma's going to play well, um, but their their defense won't be enough to stop Georgia. I think. So there we go. Okay. We, had, we have a number of agreements, but there are some disagreements. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out, uh, where yeah. our predictions go. Sounds good. I all like right. it. Yeah, good stuff. So, yeah, I think uh, 
we'll so we are going to be in New Orleans um, for Christmas, as we and mentioned. And by the way, uh, it's New Orleans, not okay. New Orleans, I guess. That's, <laughs> New Orleans. You New sound Orleans. like an outsider. Because <laughs> I am. <laughs> All right. New Orleans. Um, and so uh, we're actually going to be there in the town then uh, for the uh, Alabama Semi- Clemson Sugar Bowl. Yes, um, the semifinal. So we're going to be there. Right. Um, and uh, hang out at the stadium. And, the game's like 9.30. Yeah, and the game starts at like 8.30 or 9 o'clock. So it's it's the late game. So yeah. you got to start adjusting your body uh, to the to the local clock as soon as you get here. Right. We'll figure it out. I mean, that that's on the. Oh, that's true. That's right. Actually, actually, that that actually works in your favor. Never mind. Right. I'm on the Pacific Coast already. Um, yeah. But um, the yeah, I, I think we'll, we'll maybe we'll do a podcast maybe before uh, some of these bowl games or like right after. Yeah. You know, we'll do something together for sure while yes. we're there. Absolutely. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. So. I like it. Should be fun for sure. Um, so if you all out there enjoy listening to this podcast, you can email us at huskerpeat13 at gmail.com. You can find us online at footballthrowdown.podomatic.com. Um, you can follow us on iTunes as well. Subscribe to us there. If you search College Football Throwdown, you'll find us. You can leave a rating or a review. Um, give us your feedback on what you think of the episodes, things of that nature. Um, I was actually just reminded there was something on Podomat. Oh, right. We got a follower. That's what it was on Podomatic. I got a notification about it. So I'm going to look that up real quick so I can call this person out and say thank you. Uh, so let me find that. Okay. Well, and while you're doing that, um, you know, uh, I, I think it's going to be exciting uh, to see spring football uh, happen at Nebraska. And it just occurred to me that maybe I need to coordinate my timing so that I can find my way back to Lincoln for the uh, <laughs> spring game. <laughs> yeah, conveniently end It'll up be in April. close by. So, yeah, be somewhat close by so we might be able to wander up to Nebraska and, and take in uh, the, the spring game. That would be kind of fun. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, that would be fun. Yes, um, we have uh, Chance Davis uh, uh, became a follower of our podcast on Potomatic, so thank you, Chance, okay. for uh, subscribing. We always appreciate that. Outstanding. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Awesome. Okay. Well, I tell you what, uh, we're going to start uh, doing some uh, uh, new things with the new year, too. So maybe we need to uh, uh, do uh, have some conversations and, and make some adjustments to our podcast uh, for the new era, the new Scott Frost era, <laughs> and, um, and also the new year. As the calendar turns, uh, we need to uh, take it to the next level, as they say. There you go. Sweat the details. Just like Coach John Cook. <laughs> there we go. All right. So in the uh, in the words of John Cook in uh, Nebraska volleyball, go Big Red. Go Big Red. <laughs>